Welcome to the People Teaching People podcast. My name is Tiana Fesh. I'm a mom of three, an educator, a course development consultant, and a lifelong learner. Teaching and learning can take place anytime, anywhere, and in a multitude of ways. The range of knowledge and skills to teach and to learn about are truly limitless. But at the heart of all teaching and learning experiences are the people. The People Teaching People podcast is the place to talk about the who, what, when, where, why, and how of teaching and learning in a world where there is always more to discover. Education plays an important and integral role in all facets of our lives. How we work, do business, live, play, explore, and build relationships. Let's talk teaching and learning together. Welcome to the People Teaching People podcast. Joining me on the podcast is Karen Lane. Karen is a registered nurse and clinical nurse instructor with nearly 20 years of experience as a healthcare provider and many years of lived experience as a patient. She has worked almost exclusively in the area of mental health and addictions, where she has provided care to diverse populations of individuals and families and worked within a range of multidisciplinary teams. Karen holds a Bachelor of Nursing and Master of Nursing from the University of Calgary, where she studied the impact on family systems of a mental health diagnosis. More recently, Karen has been teaching as a clinical instructor with Athabasca University in their nursing program within the Faculty of Health Disciplines. In her teaching, she is focused on relational practice in an online environment and providing trauma-informed education. She volunteers as a mentor with the University of Calgary's Nurse Mentor Program and also is a member of the Nursing Advisory Committee for Woods Homes. She is a wife, mother of a six-year-old daughter, and white settler with the privilege of growing up and residing on Treaty 7 territory. In our conversation, Karen and I talk about mentorship, relational practice, the importance of community and connection, and her incredible journey in nursing that started through her experiences as a patient. Karen is one of the most incredible people that I know, and I can't wait for you to learn more about her. Thank you so much for joining me today, Karen. Hi, Tiana. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Well, I'm excited about this conversation. I have way too many questions to ask you. And I wanted to start off by learning more about you and your story and just hearing some of the you know, most significant, important experiences from your journey that kind of took you on this path that you're on in nursing. Sure. So I spent quite a bit of time in the hospital when I was a child. And so I was actually exposed to the medical system at a pretty young age. And I interacted with so many different medical professionals, all of whom were just incredible. The nurses spent the most time with me just due to the nature of their role, right? And like, they had a profound impact on me. I would say, you know, they they provided care with such compassion, um, competence, empathy, and even humor to just do what needed to be done, right? And so in nursing, we talk a lot about the art and the science of nursing, which I think is maybe not 
too much unlike teaching where there's the what you're teaching and then there's the pedagogy of how you teach it, right? So for me, it was experiencing the how they delivered this care during what could have been a very traumatic time in my life, right? And growing up in the hospital a lot, like it's very disruptive or could be and scary, but they all seem to find a way to really provide care and get through the procedures and operations with such just just care and kindness. So it it affected me very deeply and I set my sights on becoming a nurse and I actually rarely wavered from that and you know typically kids choose a different profession every week that they want to be like my daughter does but for me it was nurse always nurse and I think one of the things that helped is that every time I'd be discharged from the hospital the nurses would send me home with a few supplies like to play with because they recognized that I had an interest in in medicine and so my my interest didn't stop when I left hospital. It extended home where I'd get, you know, a, a syringe without a needle and some bandages and a little some stuff to play with. And my parents were always very willing participants to play the patients, fortunately. But so I just carried on this interest and probably it was a way of processing what was going on too by playing it through. But even till I was a bit older, I really enjoyed just playing out the role of a nurse and kind of what that was like. So it it was hugely influential for many years of my young life. Yeah. And is there sort of a specific time, do you think that that seed was kind of planted? Like, do you remember that moment or is there a story with one nurse in particular, one experience that you had that really got you thinking, this is what I want to do? Oh, well, yeah, that's a good question because a lot of Things happened uh, when I was just born and very young, so I didn't remember a lot of that. But I do remember when I was older, so I was probably in t- sometime in early elementary, it would have been. And there was one nurse whose name was also Karen, actually. Um, and then there was a little girl, the, another patient beside me in the, the double room. And this nurse, Karen, took care of both of us. And she was just had this sparkle to her. There was something special about her. And I remember that she she caught wind of the fact that one of my favorite movies was this Muppet movie. It was like this specific one that was hard to find. She ended up having it at her house, like the VHS tape, you know, it nice. was that long ago. <laughs> and she brought it in and she let us watch it. And just there was, she did the extra little bit, right? The thing that she didn't have to do. And she let us move the, the hospital beds around so that me and the other little girl could play nurse and doctor and you know with our teddies or whatever so she just made it fun when it really wasn't <laughs> but it she facilitated that for us so I remember Karen and I tried to look at her up years later and she might have moved on and retired but she really I always think of her yeah that's a beautiful story and <laughs> it really is so impactful when people do maybe in their minds you know what seems like a small thing but yeah. it really ends up being a big thing and something that we remember and appreciate and think about for years to come. Now, yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, having had this experience and perspective as a patient yourself, Mm. how has that influenced how you approach working in the field of nursing? Yeah, probably in more ways than I recognize. But I think what I've become aware of is, you know, I, I knew what it was like to be vulnerable and to need help, right? So some of my surgeries were into my teen years when I didn't want help. I wanted to do it myself, but to accept that. And even when I'm younger, you're trying to exert your independence and, you know, grow. And so 
I understood that when you're unwell, you need help, right, and support. So I think that was one thing is I can really empathize quite well with people who are struggling with their health in some way. I can appreciate how it affects so many domains of life, right? The other thing I think I recognize now that I've been practicing in nursing for quite a while is that I, I felt what it was to have my needs met, yeah. right, I, in terms of my health. And I, I, I now understand the very many things that impact our ability to be well and to recover and to maintain our wellness and well-being. So I've had a, immense privileges in my life, right, that allowed me to come through what I did quite well and in a positive light. But you know, I had access to one of the best children's hospitals in Canada. I had support and loving parents and kind friends and accommodating teachers. But I know that's not true for a lot or most people, right? So I think as a a nurse, I, I recognize that and I kind of look for where are those disparities? Where are those gaps for these people that don't have access or don't have those privileges of an environment of a situation of people in their life that for which they can heal and recover in. So I think I really look at it through that lens now, right? I had the privileges and others don't. Hmm. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's interesting too, because I think so much too in the world of teaching and I'm sure in the world of nursing, maybe not everybody takes the time to kind of get to know the wider picture of who a person is. Yes. And and all those pieces that affect their overall yeah. well-being. And, you know, you don't know if that kiddo sitting in your classroom or the kiddo that you're seeing in the hospital, like what's going on for them? Like where mm-hmm. are they really, how are they really feeling that day beyond the physical piece? And who, as you said, are the people in their corner? Like what are the supports that they have outside of, you know, the supports that are in the hospital? There's so much more to a person's story. And so the fact that you recognize that and and experienced, you know, Mm. all those additional pieces and all the positivity that can come when they're being seen and recognized in the care that you're getting given, being given and how you can really carry that forward in the work that you do. Yeah, I think there is so many parallels to teaching. You're right, like in terms of, I know you say there's always more to the story and you're absolutely right. I think it's so easy to judge what we see at first glance. And, you know, in I work in mental health and in mental health, there's a lot of biases and stigmas that show up, you know, within people. If someone, let's say, has trouble getting to appointments, right? You say, why isn't that person showing up for appointments? Or why are they missing appointments? Or why is that kid missing school? Or why are they not in class? What's what's wrong with this person? And instead, instead, you know, being curious about that and thinking like, well, maybe they had to take two buses to get to this appointment. My patients often do, or they'd never ride, or they'd never the bus money, right? Like there's just more to the story. Yeah. Yeah. More to the story. And I love how you said that, that, you know, really the importance of being curious rather than just making an assumption about somebody and why they've done or not done something. Yeah. Getting curious and wanting to know and understand is so important. Now, nursing like teaching, we've talked a little bit about some of the over overarching similarities. There's many different as well options and pathways that you can take in your career. And 
I, I'm wondering, I'm curious, I'm curious, <laughs> what prompted your shift from clinical nursing into more teaching and mentoring? Yeah, good question. So I suppose I've always enjoyed the educator aspects of the nursing role. So, you know, if someone's diagnosed with a new illness or they're learning to manage their health, it may be educating on that or on medications or whatever. I liked that. I was sort of drawn to it. And then 10, 15 years ago, I had an opportunity to step, dip my toe in, I should say, to clinical nursing or clinical teaching rather through Mount Royal College. It was Mount Royal College then. That's how old it was. It's Mount Royal University now, if people aren't, don't know. And in their community mental health nursing course. And so my students were placed at different mental health agencies in the city. And I loved it. It was just the best experience. But it just didn't jive with my schedule working at the hospital at that time. So I couldn't couldn't do it again, you know, at that time, though I kind of, it was always in the back of my head. So more recently, I guess the context was that I was considering moving out of frontline clinical work and had kind of really more seriously considered teaching. And I guess the, the thinking behind that was really working in a system where I was seeing my friends and colleagues leaving at alarming rates. Mm. <laughs> and it was the first time in my career that I'd ever seen nurses leave, not just their area of practice or their specialty area or their unit, but leave the profession entirely, mostly due to burnout and things like that. And truth be told, I was feeling some of that as well. I was considering even leaving too. So <sighs> the image I keep getting in my mind is like a bucket just with this massive hole in it, just flooding out and thinking of all the people that are leaving healthcare, right? And I thought like feeling very helpless, honestly, and thinking, is there some place that I could support nurses or nurses to be like in some way? And so that started to solidify my my thought about moving more into mentorship and teaching was like, let's let's look at supporting nurses and nurses to be who are about to go into this really challenging, complex system, and what do they need? So I'd been wanting to do mentorship for many years and just didn't have the space, but when I left my job last year in, in clinical work, I had room, I had some space to do it, and so I hooked up with the program at UFC, the mentor, a nurse mentor program at UFC, and met a fourth-year student there to connect with her. At the same time, similar time, started teaching with Athabasca University with their nursing faculty in terms of community community mental health nursing there too. So it just sort of all came together in, in a focus on teaching and mentoring nurses and nurses-to-be. So Yeah, and again, it seems like through your own experiences, it sort of led to a shift and transition in what you were doing and yeah. recognizing you know, that burnout and those struggles that, that yourself and other nurses are experience, experiencing and really wanting to offer that support. And it's, you know, I think back, I'm like the, the statistic that I researched for my master's degree on that, you know, the number of years teachers are in the profession before they leave and it's three to five years. Yeah. And I left classroom teaching after five years. 
So I'm my own statistic. (laughs) And for my master's, I developed a curriculum on new teacher mentorship and then later uh, taught at the University of Calgary mentoring teachers to be and and talking Mm -hmm. about, you know, that, you know, a part of what we talk about is the importance of taking care of yourself and how it can be very overwhelming and it can be hard to create boundaries and and to really, if, if you're not caring about yourself, it's hard to be able to care for other people, but it can be so easy to go down that pathway. I think nursing and teaching both often tend to attract people who, you know, kind of have that interest in the caring profession and helping others and and making a difference. And, and it can be exhausting. It can can be be exhausting. I think you're right. The professions attract those that are very heart-led. And so they give it their all. They really invest all of themselves in in it. At least that's what I've experienced. And yeah, it can be a quicker way to burning out when you do without some of those boundaries and things that feel really hard to implement, but are pretty important. They're pretty important. Yeah. 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 And I wanted to ask you a little bit more about that because I know, as you said, you know, in working with nurses to be and in the nurse at nursing education that you're doing, burnout would be a topic that would come up. So what are some of the ways and strategies that you sort of discuss these things with people in both mentorship and in, and in your instructor roles? Yeah, it certainly does come up a lot. And I think, I mean, first of all, it sounds simple, but talking about it, right? Like providing the space for that conversation, because what I've found is that a lot of my students, the student group I'm teaching are actually already nurses. They're practical nurses and they're going for their bachelor's degree, but they, they work in nursing, they've experienced it, but they don't typically have time at work to talk about some of this. So they have a space then in our seminars and our discussions for this conversation and I think it provides a space for validation right to say like I see you and I see what you're carrying I know that you're not only working but you've got a family you're studying like I I see that and so we do talk about self-care that was in one of our first seminar discussions actually last week but I think for me what is also really important is grounding burnout in the larger context the systemic context right so that There are some things we can do as individuals, but also acknowledging what are all the factors systemically in healthcare and teaching even that are contributing to this, right? And I and I say that because when I was a young nurse, I took burnout in myself to be a sign of failure, personal failure, that I couldn't measure up or I couldn't meet expectations. I couldn't, you know, do everything in a day that needed to be done. And I thought it was me. So I thought if I just work harder, I can get all this done. I can do all the things. And sometimes that's not true, right? There are things going on where there are so many pressures and expectations and and that that it's easy to personalize it and sort of take responsibility for things that are not yours to carry. So positioning it in its rightful place in a larger context, I think, is is really important too. Yeah. That's great that you create both that context and that space for students to uh, be able to have those conversations about 
burnout and the expectations we place on ourselves often unrealistic and yes and in doing so then I think people realize they're not alone there's not something wrong with them right it's yeah it's unfortunate that we're (laughs) that people are collectively feeling experiencing but there's something to know that it's not you it's not anything you're doing wrong and then and then coming up are there opportunities to come up with some ways to kind of manage that in in the context that's sort of out of your control and then sort of addressing things that are within your control? Yeah, very much so. We talk about that as well. And in the seminar, I sort of put it to the students for their ideas. And they had lots of ways that they sort of cope. One of the kind of cool ones that came up was dancing. Dancing is very popular. I mean, I'm not skilled in that. But for many people, they're like, this is just my way of being somewhere else like mentally physically and I was like that's cool so we talked about having a dance party at some point in the course but virtually I guess but no they in all seriousness they had some great strategies and tools for that and it's finding what suits you right and so interestingly enough some of them were talking about limiting the number of shifts they picked up pick up you know it's easy to get caught up in in more shifts and more income when we all need it now but really that self-care piece of boundaries, boundaries on how much we work and how much time we're, we're dedicating there versus the other parts of our life. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah it yeah. can be, it can e- be very easy to get caught up on that. And I love that you've got your students sharing their ideas and I, I look yeah. forward to hearing about your uh, epic virtual dance party. <laughs> that'd be, that'd be pretty fun. That'd be pretty fun. Now, many of our listeners might not have experience as a nurse or being in the world of nursing or or teaching for that matter. So I'd love to better understand the work that you do. So what would a typical day of teaching or being a student in your in your virtual classroom or being a fly on the wall look like in terms of you had mentioned to me that you use a relational practice and trauma-informed education. So what, how, what does that look like in yeah. your classroom and in the work that you do with students? For sure. So the course is really well designed and I take, I can take no credit for that. It's, you know, some terrific educators and nurses at Athabasca created it, but it involves a combination of real-time live video conferencing as a whole group, so in the group of 16 students, or in pairs with me to do some skills work and demonstrations, building psychosocial skills in mental health nursing. There's forum discussions online that they can type you know, responses to things and respond to their colleagues or fellow students rather. And so there's different ways of sort of interacting with one another. But I suppose, you know, the course being on mental health, we're learning and we're reviewing ways of approaching our own patients in a way that's trauma-informed, which involves, first of all, the recognition that trauma for people is quite prevalent, is very common, and then we can almost assume that someone's experienced something difficult in their in their life. And how we how we go into our meeting with that person, that patient, really makes a difference to their ability to feel safe and comfortable. So it's that curiosity versus judgment that we talked about earlier. It's, you know, providing choices and collaborating. It's really an approach that we should be using with every patient, right? But particularly in mental health, when we're facing stigma and bias and people's 
people may have had really difficult experiences in the system. So that's the way that we're approaching our patients. Equally, I'm approaching my students in that way, right? So I'm approaching it to prioritize the relationship I have with them. In an online course, it's very challenging sometimes to build connection and a sense of community. But I, I use the phone, like no one talks on the phone anymore, but I will call my students. And, they, you know, some of them, when I first call them, like, am I in trouble? I'm like, no, I'm just saying, hi, how's it going, right? But connecting, making that personal connection and then really valuing what they bring to the course, right? So my recognition with them also is that they may have experienced some of these difficulties that we actually talk about in the course. So we talk about things like suicide and domestic violence, and maybe that's been their experience personally or professionally. So really approach, really approaching the content of the course, very aware that this could be sensitive for some of them. And um, it might bring up some things that's pretty powerful for them. So navigating it with empathy and compassion for their situations Again, creating a safe space for them to share what they're comfortable with. And yeah, just really acknowledging that everyone's going to come from a different place. This content's going to mean different things to different people and being really attuned to that is important. So yeah, all these connections that I try and facilitate through an online course, like I said, can be, can feel tricky at times, but it's very doable. It just takes a little bit of. Um, time to consider how how to facilitate that sense of community as a group when it's online yeah versus face to face yeah Yeah. it sounds like you've got some great strategies that you're implementing and finding ways to connect and and really create that sense of community which makes such a huge difference in teaching and learning and I guess maybe sort of speaking in general terms do you have an example of sort of the positive impact that your teaching or your approach to teaching had with one of your students or a group of students that you worked with? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of students who reached out to me and said that the course was really, they really appreciated the security of it, the safety that was created. There was one student in particular who actually sent me a message and said, like, because you've created a space that's safe, I want to to tell you something's been going on in my family life that's impacting my ability to really be present in the course and really give my best. And she said, because you've prioritized our mental health as students, I feel that I can tell you this. So, and you know, I don't, I I don't ask them to share any details unless they want to, but um, she just briefly described sort of what was going on and how it was going on in the background and that she was still, still in the course, still making, you know, the assignments and things. And we talked about what she needed to, to be successful but I appreciated that right it was like a two-way street of communication that she felt comfortable enough and then I could also respond so I think you know I, I don't know if that's true for all the students but certainly for her she felt that it was okay to approach me with this and be honest right so yeah Yeah. And I think, well, it's so fantastic that she was able to reach out to you and share that with you and provide that context, that greater, wider context of of where she was at and what she was experiencing. Mm -hmm. Because I think in in any sort of learning environment, there's an element of vulnerability and you're, you know, in one way or another, you're being evaluated or assessed. You're you're needing to pass the class or the course. And it might be a class that you're 
choosing to take or it's a required component of your program. I don't know if either of my older two would be taking math if they didn't have to, (laughs) for example. But when an instructor creates that safe space where you can feel comfortable, you know, taking a risk, getting the answer wrong, making a mistake, not not you know, understanding something and that's okay. Or asking yeah. a question and, and feeling like you don't have to worry about the type of reaction you get when mm. you ask the questions that you have. I think mm-hmm. um, it makes it, it makes it so much easier to learn because that's yeah. where the learning happens. <laughs> the learning happens yeah. when you're making mistakes, when you're figuring things totally. out. And so creating that safe space is key. And it sounds like you've done it beautifully and what can be a tricky tricky space to do it online. It definitely uh, feels more challenging in the teaching I've done uh, in an online environment versus in person. It's harder to get a read on people. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. And I like, that's my, that's my bag is like psychiatry, mental health, like read people, you get intuition, but it's, it's, it is much harder for sure. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And especially if mics are off and you try and say something funny and you're just not. It's just silence. no one's laughing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, it sounds like you're doing a great job and working so well with your students. And I wanted to talk about something else as well. On social media, you recently shared your experience with meeting an incredible woman named Misha. Is that correct? Misha mm-hmm. Dreamwalker. Yeah. And yeah. when I read your post about it, you talked about how it really highlighted for you the importance of community, which you Mm -hmm. create with your students and in your teaching Mm -hmm. and connection. And I was wondering if you would share what led to the opportunity to connect with Misha and why that that experience was so important to you. Sure. So I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that um, I spent a lot of time in the hospital as a young person, and that is due to a congenital condition with which I was born called, wait for it, arthrogyposis multiplex congenita, or AMC for short. So um, AMC is actually an umbrella term for a whole host of conditions, um, like there's many, many, but essentially they tend to affect range of motion, joint mobility, often in the extremities. But depending on the type that you have, you can be quite differently affected than someone else with a different type. Some types are genetic and some are not. Some are more spontaneous cases. And so I haven't been very connected to that community for a number of reasons, but I had been following Misha Walker, who goes by Misha Dreamwalker, on Facebook or social media for a little bit of time. And she's actually the international ambassador for AMC. And every year in the summer, she and her husband, Michael, travel one part of the world, meeting with families who have AMC and sort of building that community. So this summer, she was, she and Michael were going through, traveling through Canada. And so it's kind of keeping an eye on this, but not closely. Well, she made a post sometime in June of her meeting with this young person in a neighboring province. And I didn't double take at these photos and video, double take, triple take. This young person that she was meeting looked like me, moved like me, like I, I actually thought it was me. 
When I showed my husband, he said, oh, when did your mom send you those photos of you when you were little? I said, that's not me. And so quite impulsively, I sent a message to Misha on Messenger or something, never having talked to her and said, I want to thank you for what you're doing because I have never in my life seen somebody that looks like me. Not ever. And she actually wrote back quite quickly and said, wow, like I'm actually at their house, this person's house with their family. Can I connect you to like connect, connect your families? And she said, where do you live? And I said, Calgary. And she's like, we're coming through in a few weeks. Like we definitely need to meet. And I was kind of like, oh, okay, yeah. You know, ner- nervous, scared, but we did. So she came through Calgary a few weeks later. I had dinner with Misha and Michael and it was just such a different experience for me, like such a different space. So Misha and I, although we both have AMC, we're quite differently affected. So we don't look tremendously alike, but nonetheless, there was a sort of mutual understanding, right? Yeah. Like just, you just get each other. And I never had that, right? So, you know, my life has been filled to the brim with people who just are the most loving and kind and also none of them have a disability at least not in the way I do right so I just had never seen anybody that looks like me and so it was very moving my mom said it was kind of like finding the missing piece right like just something that I hadn't had despite an incredible life that I've lived so yeah it was just a very therapeutic kind of beautiful experience and so it was an evening with them and that's it but meeting Misha means you also get to meet the whole community and get connected to all of the people that she brings from around the world right and so you you talk about community and connection on your podcast almost every time right and I just really experienced that fully when I met her you know I just really understood the importance of that because I've been part of lots of communities in my life but there was always something different still about me right so this was a different space to be in yeah well and I'll say (laughs) full disclosure I've known Karen I've known you your whole life (laughs) you have yeah And your mom and dad are not my godparents, but my special friends, because I think our parents went through like a hippie face. (laughs) Yes, Yes, they did. We have the photo proof. We have the photo proof. (laughs) And, you know, I just think you're an amazing human being. And I just was so, so touched, like to when you shared that story and like just your vulnerability and openness to, I think, I first was filled with such joy for you like to have made that connection and to connected with that community and 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 you know for just you know taking that initiative and reaching out to Misha and just all the the amazingness that came from that and it yeah I I think there's so much to be said for community and then as well for I always think, you know, in sharing our vulnerabilities and in speaking from the heart, like the difference 
it makes for others. Like A, the awareness piece. Yeah. Creating conversation. Yeah. And again, helping people to feel not alone, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I thank you for sharing your story about that. I really appreciate it. And it was just amazing to have you share that and to learn more about you and your story, even though we've known each other for mm. our whole lives, <laughs> our whole lives. <laughs> so thank you. It's my pleasure, Tiana. And thank you very much for the opportunity to talk about it. I was really nervous about sort of going there right, with my post initially and doing it because it would mean that I'd have to really fully step into that part of myself, right? And, you know, I've lived a life not really feeling like I have a disability because I've done so many things. It's just not really been too much a thing. And also it has been, right? So it's recognizing the parts that yeah, I do have a disability and, you know, I haven't existed in many spaces where that's true for others, but maybe this post will reach somebody that it would impact, right? Where maybe it's a young person who sees it and I didn't have that. We didn't really have the social media channels we do now and there's just more information out there, but maybe it'll make a difference for someone else and it has actually opened up a world for me that... I'm less reticent to step into because it is part of me, right? And okay. <laughs> so yeah, thank you. And your family has been one of the families that's been just an absolutely incredible influence in my life since, yeah, since I was, since I was born. So thank you all very much too. Well, we're super appreciative to you and your family and in so many ways, your family has been essentially our family because yeah. we didn't have any family here. And yeah. I always yeah. loved the times that we spent together. I won't get into all the details, but there's a number <laughs> of funny stories I could bring up about our childhood, yeah. but just so many wonderful mes uh, memories. And yeah, we're just so grateful for our connection to you and your family. I agree. Likewise. Yeah. So... I wanted to get back a little bit to the nursing piece. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I asked you about was frequently asked questions. <laughs> <laughs> and I think no matter what profession we're in or what we do, we kind of have those questions that people tend to ask us all the time on repeat. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if I could ask you those and then have you share your responses for our listeners. Yeah. So Karen, how do you do this kind of work? Isn't it just way too hard? <laughs> yes, yeah, sometimes sometimes it is. Sometimes it feels too hard. I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier a little bit with the way that you take care of yourselves and the way you focus on what you can and can't control. You know, like this work that I've done in mental health nursing has been so meaningful to me like it's been a privilege to meet all the patients I have that I think that's always outweighed everything else but sometimes it does feel very heavy because you're holding a lot of people's stories or at least I do so yeah sometimes it's a lot but I always felt like I was doing something right in a in a space that there's a lot of inequity and struggle there's a lot of resilience and these people these folks and it's nice to be part of it and make you make make a good 
make a difference, make a positive influence too, right? Okay, next question. <laughs> Why did you choose mental health nursing instead of sticking with a more traditional route? Mm-hmm. Yes, people are often baffled by that one for sure. Well, they all actually always wanted to do pediatric nursing, kind of like my story at the very beginning about going into nursing. I was going to be a pediatric nurse and work at the children's hospital. And then I did my pediatric rotation in in school and I liked it, but I didn't love it in the way that I thought. And I was like, oh no, like now what do I do? Oh dear. But I continued on in the program and then I did a rotation in psychiatry and I thought, whoa, like this is really cool. This is, this is so fascinating. Not only is the human mind just amazing, but I get to just have conversations with people and talk about their lives and their stories like wow, this is cool. So I was really actually drawn to that in my program. And I also learned about myself that I'm like not the best hands-on skills nurse, bedside nurse that I kind of want to be in my brain, but like I'm more interested in what what is it like for someone to be going for surgery than preparing for them for surgery, if that makes sense. So the IVs and all that I can do, it's just not my strength. So yeah. Well, and that's just part of it, right? It's I've I mean, I feel you. I thought that I wanted to be an elementary school teacher, actually. (laughs) And then I thought, "Mm, no, I think junior high and high school is more my jam. But you kind of have to have that openness, right, to what's possible when you kind of get that feeling inside that, "Mm, I don't think this is exactly (laughs) what I want to do and and be okay to change your mind and explore Mm -hmm. those other options. Well, thank thank you for answering those questions. Yeah, Now, (laughs) you had mentioned a nurse that you had had as a kiddo and uh, the impact that she left on you. Do you have a favorite teacher that um, you've had? And I'm curious why maybe that person really stands out for you. Oh, my gosh. There's probably been so many. I've had mostly incredible teachers. How could I pick one? It's also World Teachers Day today. so It sure is. So yes. Thank you, Tiana, and all the teachers. Yes. <laughs> As an aside. Okay. That, that was a distraction to, to give me time to pick one. Oh, my gosh. Well, I have a mentor teacher that when I was doing graduate school was my, like, supervisor for the term or whatever, Sandy. And... We ended up working together later on and we still keep in touch. And she just was like no nonsense and also very empathetic and warm, but just a great leader also. And also like understood how to take care of yourself in this work, right? And was like, take care of you kind of thing. So she promoted that. But whenever I'd go into her office crying, because I'm just like a very emotional person, she'd be like what's going on? Like just always willing to talk and just talk me through it. So she's been a, a lovely influence, but I've had so many teachers, so I, it's hard to choose. Yeah, She's one of many. <laughs> That's a good problem to have, right? Yes. You yes. have so many and not be able to pick just one necessarily, but she sounds yeah. amazing. She sounds yes. like a great teacher. Yes. Now, when you look back at your journey, what is something that you're most proud of? Most proud of? I would say maybe the relationships that I've have and have built and sustained with you know family friends the shorter ones with patients like those professional relationships because I've just been able to meet so many people right and 
what an honor to do that. So yeah, relationships, which is what life's about, right? So yeah. It all comes down to that, <laughs> I feel in so many ways. Yeah. I have some rapid fire questions for you. Okay. 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 What is something that you would love to learn about or something you'd love to learn to do? I really enjoy writing and I always have loved the written word and like poetry and like I love reading, but I would like to like properly learn how to write. So I like to write, but I would like to learn from someone who knows what they're doing and could like give feedback and criticize. So, uh, or critique rather. So I think that would be fun learning to actually write. (laughs) What is the place that is at the top of your travel bucket list? Oh man. Okay. So recently I went to the Telespark uh, science center here in Calgary with my family and we watched one of the dome movies and it was about the great bear rainforest on the Pacific coast in Canada. Wow. This place looks absolutely spectacular. So it's one of the few remaining rainforests forests. And I think you can actually go there and visit, but I almost wouldn't want to just leave it preserved, but it would just be like, there's the special bears there and it's just Amazing. I'm very called to trees and forests right now. So that would be somehow I'd get there and go there. <laughs> Sounds beautiful and not too far yeah. away. Not too far. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is a book, podcast, movie, or TV show you've enjoyed recently? I just finished two books in rapid succession. Is it okay if I say? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. okay. So the first one was Invisible Women, Data Bias in a World Designed for Men, which sounds really boring, but it is not. If you like data and statistics, it is so fascinating, but also very digestible and easy to kind of take in and read. Um, It was just so interesting about almost everything in the world that we experience or use is like based on the male prototype. And so it talks about how that impacts women. It's a bit like gender binary, but it's very very, very interesting. So that was a good one. And then Lessons in Chemistry, which I think a lot of people are reading or is very popular, is going to be a show in a few weeks. I want to read it before that. But um, if you don't know, it's about a fictional um, female chemist in the 60s and kind of explores gender norms, gender um, inequities through her eyes. Um, It's really good. I really enjoyed that. Well, I've heard of Lessons in Chemistry. Haven't read it yet, but mm-hmm. your other recommendation sounds great. So I've got two so books good. to add to my list. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. And if you could sit down and have a conversation with someone that you would love to learn from, who would it be and why? I feel like someone recently, I think it was Dana, maybe said her grand ancestors and grandparents that were passed. So I like that was mine. But then I was like, oh, maybe I'll choose another one. But my grandparents for sure who have passed away that I would love to talk more with but I was also thinking like someone else would be Florence Nightingale like an absolute powerhouse of a woman she wasn't just a nurse and a pioneer in so many ways but like a statistician and like you know back when people had like three vocations and a million degrees basically she was just like incredible so she'd be fascinating to to chat with I think that would be amazing that would be amazing Now, obviously, through our conversation, we've been talking about how education plays such an important role in 
all facets of our mm-hmm. lives and how we work and live and play and explore. And clearly it's, it's played a big part for you in becoming a nurse and in the work that you do as a nurse. So I'm wondering if you have any final thoughts or words of wisdom that could empower or support other people in their own teaching and learning journeys. I think for me, what's been really helpful when I've gone to teach or mentor is knowing myself actually, like reflecting on my own journey, my own experiences, really thinking critically about that because I think it makes you more, and I think you talked about this earlier, it makes you more genuine when you go to share it or when you're sharing your wisdom or your examples, like it's actually lived and it's from your heart. So that's, that would probably be it is get to know yourself, get to, in mindfulness, they call it befriending yourself, get to know yourself and befriend yourself and just it'll help give the most genuine wisdom and knowledge to others, I think. Yeah, I love that advice. (laughs) Thank you. And Karen, I want to thank you so much for your time and sharing your story and all your wisdom today. If people are curious about you, where, where might be a place that they could reach out and connect and find out more about you? I don't have a very big online presence, so it might be on LinkedIn, just Karen Lane um, on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook, but not really much. So probably LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah. I'll make sure to share that information in the show notes. Thank you so very much, Karen, for this conversation. I've learned so much and enjoyed so much chatting with you today. Thank you, Tiana. Thank you for having this space for these conversations and having so many incredible folks on your podcast. Your first podcast was very influential in my own work life decision-making. So I'm really grateful for that. And I love this podcast as well. I listen to all the time. So yeah, thank you for just having this platform in this space. Like you said, just having those conversations sometimes is really so meaningful, so valuable to so many people. So thank you, Tiana. Oh, thank you so much, Karen. I appreciate (laughs) that. Thank you for listening to the People Teaching People podcast. I'm your host, Tiana Fesh. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Tiana Fesh and on my website, tianafesh.com. I would love it if you would subscribe to, rate, and review this podcast. Your feedback and support are so appreciated. See you next time where we will continue to explore all things teaching and learning together.